Pastor Rob, and I'm the pastor for Congregational Care. And honestly, COVID has had me on the shelf really for months. So I'm really glad that somebody took the time to take me out of the box so that I could give the message this morning. I'm really excited to do so, especially because I love giving messages of good news. And this honestly is a fabulous good news message this morning because we're going to talk about justifying grace and the grace that sets us straight with God. And I don't think there's any better news than that. And so I'm really excited to give the message this morning. I welcome everybody who's here today, especially everybody who is there online. Uh, be sure to say hi to the moderators. They're there to make your, your experience even better. So, so say hello to them this morning. Now this week, we're going to continue then our series on grace. And last week, Pastor Ricky gave an awesome message on the nature of prevenient grace. And what prevenient grace is, is the grace that is there and offered even before a person knows who Jesus is and before they've received an invitation from God. It's through prevenient grace that, uh, that, that we receive a blessing that overcomes the, the nature of original sin. And if you had a chance to see Pastor Ricky's message last week, he used a, an image of a house with a nice porch and a front door. And one of the things that Pastor Ricky said is, is that prevenient grace is really represented in the porch and the inviting nature of the porch. Now this week, my responsibility is to share with you uh, the nature of, of justifying grace. Now, like I said, I love preaching the good news and the nature of justifying grace is, is really an opportunity for us to, to set our relationship straight with God. And here's the thing when it comes to justifying grace, that even in the brokenness of this world, even with all of our imperfections, Jesus and his grace restores us. Jesus brings us back to God uh, where sin has kept us apart. And in doing so, not only is the relationship restored, but we find eternal life. Now, justifying grace is one of the main tenets of what we believe in the Christian faith. And for, for John Wesley, the, founding, uh, the founder of the Methodist movement, he really believed that grace was a huge part of the Christian experience. Let's hear what John Wesley had to say about justifying grace. And this is a passage taken directly from one of his sermons, sermon number 85. By justification, we are saved from the guilt of sin and restored to full acceptance and fellowship with God by the grace of God. God's wrath for our sins no longer hangs over our head and no longer troubles or worries our minds. We are placed securely in the light, knowing that God delights in us and loves us unconditionally. Now, by the way, I need to share with you this, that for many years, uh, back when the church was, was still young and growing, there were circuit pastors uh, who used to ride a circuit of churches. And if for some reason the pastor couldn't get to services on church that Sunday, uh, they were instructed to have a layperson read uh, one of the sermons of John Wesley word for word to be able to convey that to the, to the congregation. And actually I thought about, no, I didn't think about doing that this weekend. But the idea of being able to share John Wesley's words and to really understand the nature of what he was thinking about as he was forming our, our denomination of Methodism, I, I think is important for us. So what is justification? 
Well, the word justification comes from the Latin word justificare. And what that word means is, is making one right with the law. We see the same root word in our word justice, or, or dealing with being on the right side of the law. Now, justification is at the core of our Christian beliefs. It's actually one of the things that sets us aside from other religions in that justification is necessary because it helps us to overcome our, our, our bounding by sin. But the thing is, is that what makes the, the doctrine special is, is that it's not what we do, and it's not how good that we are. It's what Christ has done for us. Even the most righteous person fails when they, when they measure up to God's expectation. But the good news is, is that Jesus is there to make up the difference. John Wesley makes this even clearer by saying that justification is another word for pardon. It is the forgiveness of all of our sins and our acceptance with God. Now, going back to the analogy of the house that Pastor Ricky shared with us last week, justifying grace happens when we agree to open the door of that house and walk in. But here's the thing, the justification doesn't happen until we walk through that door. Yes, the invitation is there on the porch, but the act of justification happens when we agree by faith to walk through the door. Now, we've heard from John Wesley, but let's see what the Bible has to say regarding justification. In the first two chapters of the book of Romans, Paul begins and at what looks like a good news, bad news story. And in the first two chapters, Paul really describes how people have fallen away from God. He says that both the Jewish and the, and the Gentile people will be judged. Their sinful actions have separated them from God, and many have stopped following the law. And when they do and continue to follow the law, they're still falling short. But thankfully, our scripture picks up this morning where Paul's letter ended off. It starts with chapter 3, verse 21. It's the good news of the story. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Paul is telling us that even with our sinful nature, God acquits us or he justifies us, meaning he sets us straight in the law through Jesus. This is good news. Paul is telling us that through faith in Christ, that our relationship with God is restored, and it's by faith that we are acquitted. Not by our attempts to follow the law, not by how righteous we believe that we are, but through God's grace that we are made whole. It's also a fulfillment of the promises made in the Old Testament that one day our relationship with God would be made whole again, even after original sin. Now, I also have to note that I'm, 
I'm kind of a computer geek, and one of the things I thought that was kind of interesting is, is our modern use of the word justification. One of the things that I saw as I was doing my research is that somebody pointed out that our modern use of the word justification is typically only used when we're talking about typesetting or, or typing on a word processing program. And the act of justification is how we set and arrange the words on the page. So just like the words on a page are set and justified, so are we by God, and we are justified on our path thanks to our faith in God. Now, even better news that goes along with all of this is that justification is available to every one of us. In his letter to the Romans, Paul stresses that grace is not just limited to, to people who are Jewish, but it was also open to the Gentiles as well. He speaks of those both who follow the law and those who didn't those who didn't even recognize the law. He says that, that grace and justification is offered to all. John Wesley said it this way. He said that God's unlimited grace is free in all and free for all. But what I find amazing is, is that even with this, this broad invitation even with this being one of the, the, the central tenets of Christianity, there are so many people whom I talk to who feel like the gift of God's grace isn't meant for them. They don't feel that they're worthy to accept the, the, the grace that God offers. And, and the truth is, is that that is far from the truth. God offers this grace to everyone. God wants a relationship with everyone. Not just the perfect, not just those who consider themselves righteous, but everyone. And if you think about it, when we see many of the parables in the Bible, isn't that the story that's told to us? Isn't that the message of the prodigal son, that when the son leaves and comes back, his father celebrates? That when one sheep is lost, the shepherd goes to find him? These are stories about relationship and how God wants to be with us. He wants that relationship. It's an invitation for all. Now, one of my favorite stories about the nature of this invitation and, and this nature of God's gift is the story of the woman at the well. And it's a great illustration of how the good news is offered to all of us, even for those who are not expected recipients of God's blessing. We find the story of the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, verses 7 through 15, and I'm also going to pick up at verses 25 and 26. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now just to pause for a moment, Jesus' interaction with this woman, this woman is unique and it's evidence of grace for all of us because of how unusual this conversation would have been. Jews and Samaritans didn't mingle. 
And the presence of this woman at the well around noontime is an unusual circumstance in itself. So for Jesus to approach her and ask, for, ask her for water is his initiation of the conversation. The scripture continues. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and animals enjoyed? Now, I'll admit that there are times that I, I feel like I've acted like that Samaritan woman. There are times that I read things that Jesus has said and I find absolute confusion in them. And don't you ever have those moments? Aren't there moments that you scratch your head and say, what is Jesus really saying? And if you think about it, this woman's thinking there has to be something tangible that Jesus is offering, this living water. How could faith alone lead to this blessing? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon be thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, said the woman, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Now, as this passage continues, we find that Jesus reveals to the woman that he knows her past and her background. And she's living less than a righteous life. But what's important to understand here is, is that even though Jesus knew her past, even though she was less than a righteous woman, Jesus has already extended her the offer for this living water. Think about what that means for us. Sure, God knows our failures. God knows who we are. But even in those failures, God is extending that grace to us. All we need to do is open the door. The woman actually closes out by sharing just a little piece of her faith and understanding. In verse 25, she says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. You know, I think often we feel we are not worthy of God's blessing. That we need to be better people, that there's more that we need to do. And when you think about it, how many times have you ever invited a person to church who has said that they are too far gone for God to want them? How many of you have heard somebody say, oh, no, I'm not going to church. If I walk through that door, lightning will strike the building and burn it down. We all know those folks but it's far from the truth. Grace is there for every one of us. And you know, even worse, I worry and I feel for those who say they don't need God. I worry for those people who say, I live a good life. I'm a good person. I don't need the church thing. 
I don't need God. Jesus had plenty to say about the righteous. The term whitewashed tombs comes to mind. We need to be wary when we think that our righteousness and our activities will lead to salvation. Scripture tells us that that we fall short. We are not worthy. We also need to remember that like the doctor at the hospital who treats the sick, grace is there for us and for Jesus to heal the brokenness. You wouldn't say the doctor is only there for the healthy. God's there to heal us too. Now, I think there's something else that gets in the way as well. And I think that the reason is a lack of perspective in our own human skepticism. You know, my dad used to like to offer fatherly advice. Dads, dads are good at that. I'm good at that. I'm a dad. I, I offer that advice all the time. And I remember my dad saying to me, there's no such thing as a, and you can probably fill in the blank, there's no such thing as a free lunch. It's ingrained in us to be skeptical of anything that is offered for free. But this really is a gift. This really is a gift that comes without strings. But here's where the perspective part uh, really needs to be realigned in our minds. We need to remember that the gift wasn't free. Let's return back to the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 25 through 27. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did, did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. While we're looking for the catch, we need to remember that justification happens not through what we do, but through what Christ has done. Dad was right. There, there is no such thing as a free lunch. And in this case, Jesus paid the price. When God sent his son, he knew that our justification was going to be paid for through his blood. We should be humbled by that. But at the same time, we need to realize that this gift was offered to us because of God's love for us. Wouldn't it be tragic to not accept the gift? The sacrifice that was paid on the cross was given to us because of God's love. How can we turn that down? How can we be the ones to dictate to God of saying, no, Lord, you're not doing this for me, when we know he's doing it for us?
still we can't boast. It's not based on what we have done, but, but Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. A few years ago, we asked the congregation to, to memorize this verse. Pastor Ricky shared it last week as well, and I think it's important to share it again. It is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8. And it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for that. It's a gift from God. Justification is ultimately the best gift that God could give us because it's a restoration that makes us whole and it leads us to eternal life with God. You know, as I was writing the sermon, I, I had one of those moments that, that really struck my heart. And as I was reading the scripture, I, I, I really felt a personal connection to it. And it really hit me deep in the heart. I love my kids. As a dad, I, I, I love my children and I would do anything for them. And, and as much as I love them and as much as I would love for them to be perfect, I, I know they won't be. I, it's just not realistic. But I also know that I would give the world for them if I could. And I also know when they have done something wrong, it, it pains me deeply to discipline them. Um, I feel the same way about the kids who I teach at school. But it reminds me of the nature of God's love and how much love that he has for us and how immense that love is. And if there is any correlation between the, the love that I have for my kids and what I'm willing to do for them and in the greatness of God, and what he does for us. This really is good news. God sent his son for us to justify us, to set us straight with the law, and to make us whole. This really is good news. So, so what can we do? What next steps can we take to to show God our love back. Just remembering that it's not what we do that has saved us. Well, our Methodist Book of Discipline says this. It defines grace as the undeserved, unmerited, and loving action of God in human existence through the ever-present Holy Spirit. It's important to remember that this just isn't an idea. This isn't some old-timey thing and old-fashioned in the past. This is today. The book of discipline reminds us and says that grace is God's presence to create, heal, forgive, reconcile, and transform human hearts, communities, and in the entire creation. So what can we do? We need to show some grace as well. 2020 has been hard. There are so many things that I see that are happening and have happened to people. It has been difficult. So sometime this week, reach out to somebody. And if there's a chance to extend some grace, no matter how small, do that. You know, even in the smallest amount, maybe 
Maybe we can reconcile and, and, and transform human hearts. Maybe we can change our community, maybe even the entire creation. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for the gift of, of justification, for, for setting us straight. Father, this is a broken world. It's a world of sin. And Father, we know no matter how hard we try, we fall short. So Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for the gift of grace that Jesus offers to us. That even in the darkest of times, Lord, you are there. And Father, as John Wesley says, you offer us pardon. Father, I thank you so much for the blessings in our lives. Lord, help us to also show grace to others. Help us to extend our hearts to others that they would know who you are by the way we act and conduct ourselves. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son and for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.